Race matters. 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 As always, to start the show, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, whose land we're broadcasting from, and pay my respects to elders past and present. It's such a privilege to broadcast each week from Redfern, a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities, and I'd like to honour that history. This is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. You're listening to Race Matters. My name is Tanya Ali. This Friday marks six years since Australia made a deal with Papua New Guinea that saw the Manus Island Detention Centre open. It's since closed down, but many refugees are still stranded there in a perpetual limbo. Beirut's Buchani is one of those refugees. You may have heard of him. He's an Iranian Kurdish journalist, human rights defender, poet and film producer, as well as the author of the award-winning book No Friend But The Mountains. Earlier this year, I chatted with Omid Tafigian, who worked closely with Beirut to translate No Friend But the Mountains from Farsi to English. Omid's also an assistant professor of philosophy at the American University in Cairo, an honorary research associate at the University of Sydney, and manages a campaign called Why Is My Curriculum White? You're going to hear that chat today on the show. We talk about what home means to Omid, pervasive whiteness in education, and what citizens can actually do about the way our government is treating refugees. That's coming up soon, but first, last week was NAIDOC week, of course, and it saw a pretty incredible live recording of Race Matters take place at the Australian Museum. Sarah Khan brought guests Barbie Lee Kirby and Dixie Crawford to dive into each aspect of the NAIDOC week theme this year, Voice, Treaty, Truth. The full podcast is going to be released this week, but let's hear a bit of their chat now. How have you guys built your voices to be unapologetically heard? And if you want to talk about how much struggle and trauma you've had to go through, if you want to go into that, then off you go too. Um, thank you <laughs> for reminding me. Um, I, I mean, I work for myself now. Um, you know, my colleagues are my two Kelpies. Um, they don't really disagree with me and we don't, you know, we don't have arguments in our workplace, which is our lounge room. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I actually struggle to um, remember a time... So I've been running my my own business for 12 months and I have to say that the last 12 months has completely wiped out the years, the 13 years of trauma. Um, I wouldn't describe it as complete trauma, but the 13 years of um, traumatic experiences that I had in sitting in some meetings with non-Aboriginal people in the public sector. And um, I guess the way that I would describe my voice now is that I'm completely unshakable in my beliefs in my ethics and my values and how it is that I choose to turn up in this world and what I'll say and how I say things. I certainly know that I'm not for everyone and everyone knows they're not for me. Um, Or I know that, you know, and that's vice versa. And I am unapologetic about that because I don't think we all have to be friends in this world. I don't think we all have to share the same opinion. We all have different life experiences and education and opportunities. Um, And I think now I'm just really... Um, I'm quite staunch in that, you know, and I, you know, I wonder if that comes with age, but I also wonder if it comes with opportunity to 
truly learn about who you are and where you come from and where it is that you're going in life. Um, there has been times in the last 12 months where, um, I mean, I started my business with $76. I just quit in a blaze of glory. I was like, that's it, I'm out. I didn't say that's it, I used another word. Um, <laughs> but I walked out and I had, you know, I paid my electricity bill, I had nothing less left and I just thought, I'm going to go for it. And, you know, I've just celebrated a year in business and there are times as a startup where I should have accepted, you know, a, there were, you know, two really big contracts in front of me with government agencies where I was just like, it's not for me. Um, and that, you know, those would, at that time, it was the difference between paying your electricity bill and, you know, not eating tuna and, you know, rice like back at uni days. Um, but <laughs> quinoa, everyone's got, they, they got that flash quinoa now. <laughs> it's no like $1.59 white rice, it's quinoa. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess, um, I, I've completely locked that way of, you know, I've forgotten about those times of oppression because I haven't been oppressed in a really long time and I can't see myself being oppressed um, anytime soon and I guess that's what makes me feel really unshakable in my beliefs and um, I've had to be really bold to get to that point um, but I'll tell you what, I feel so much healthier and happier because of that. That's Dixie Crawford, who, along with Barbie Lee Kirby, was interviewed by Sarah Khan at the Australian Museum last week for a special live edition of Race Matters. If you were there, uh, amazing. Thank you so much to everyone who came along. And if you couldn't make it, you will be able to hear the full chat later this week on our podcast feed. You can check it out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or head to fbiradio.com forward slash race matters. Keep an eye on that, and it should be up and with you shortly. You are listening to Race Matters. It's FBI Radio 94.5 FM. My name is Tanya Ali. And right now we're going to dive into a chat that I had with Omer Tafigian a bit earlier this year. He's an academic writer and campaigner. And in this first bit of the chat, we talk about uh, what he sees as home amongst many other things. I kind of wanted to start, um, we often talk about childhood and like uh, experiences, I guess formative experiences on race matters. Um, from what I understand, you've moved around a lot throughout your life uh, and I wanted to um, know what home means to you. Um, that's an excellent way to begin this conversation, I think. And I've been thinking about this quite deeply in, over the last week because uh, I was uh, involved in, in a, a project in Lincoln in, um, in England. And one of the questions they asked me in the interview I had there was what my, my concept is or my thoughts are about home. And I think for someone like me uh, who has moved around quite a lot, has my life has been affected by displacement and exile and uh, different forms of marginalization, I think home for me is not necessarily a place or it's not uh, connected to a community or a group. Home for me is a place where I feel like I'm respected uh, my perspectives and my contribution is acknowledged. It's a place of respect, a place where I can live a dignified life, where mm, I can maintain my principles, I can be who I am. So I know that sounds quite vague, but it really kind of moves away from the idea that home needs to be part of some kind of complete or organised or structured kind of place or location. It's Home for me is more like a... Uh, um, a perspective and a, and a feeling and a, and a response to. 
That's really, really beautiful. And I think we'll come back to that uh, throughout this chat. How do you find that community outreach and academia do work together and how can they work together better? When I think about the the university as a project, as a uh, institution, um, I can't, for me, in terms, especially after the uh, the research that I've been doing, I can't separate it from ideology. So, you know, for me, university is not just a place, it's not just an institution, it's not just an organisation, it's also an ideology, and it has these particular kinds of roots uh, in uh, particularly Western universities have roots in colonialism and different forms of oppression and domination and you know that you can see that represented right throughout all of the different elements and aspects and um, uh, and characteristics of, of the university the, the themes the subjects the the styles the approaches so for me Part, the university exists in the way that uh, in the way that it is now in, in, in especially in a, um, in neoliberal capitalism because it separated itself from the community you know it makes this distinction between what is considered intellectual academic uh, what's considered to be knowledge and and, and how that's produced uh, it contrasts itself with the way that knowledge is produced and shared and meaning is made in other spots other locations so for the university to have this privileged status in our society, in our community, and in, in politics, uh, it it needs to other um, other sites of of knowledge production. So for me, uh, disrupting this uh, binary, uh, these divisions is is I think a more sophisticated and a lot more progressive uh, way of thinking about knowledge and think and moving forward. And uh, yeah. I, I think that's a perfect segue into uh, the campaign that you managed. It's titled, Why is my curriculum white? Could you tell us a little bit about it? Well, a number of years ago, uh, I came across uh, some student movements in South Africa, and I was extremely inspired by them, uh, particularly Roads Must Fall, um, which then developed into uh, Fees Must Fall. and. From that, I noticed that there was a lot of transnational solidarity and collaboration between what was happening in South Africa and what was happening in the UK. So I noticed the Why Is My Curriculum White movement uh, in that's, that started up as a response or as a follow-up to what was happening in South Africa in, in the UK. And one of the leading figures in the Why Is My Curriculum White campaign in the UK was a philosopher, uh, a man by the name of uh, Nathaniel Tobias Coleman, and he he's a philosopher. He he works on uh, critical philosophy of race, amongst many other things. And um, you know, I I've never met him, but we communicated over email, and I was extremely inspired by his work, and I've learned a lot from him. And he and a number of other people, including uh, another uh, academic by the name of um, Adam Elliot Cooper, uh, who's a um, human geographer. They uh, worked together to, uh, amongst, uh, along with a lot of other people, uh, to establish a, a kind of a campaign that was originally called "Why Isn't My Professor Black?" And they had a fantastic panel discussion, and you can find it on YouTube. And so th this gave me a lot of ideas, and uh, it, it encouraged me to reflect on the situation in Australia, uh, not just in in academia, but also in in all forms of education, um, primary school right through, and. When they started up the Why Is My Curriculum White campaign, I thought, wouldn't it be fantastic to have a, a 
branch of that or a chapter of that that's specific to Australia. And so I asked them, would would they mind if I started up a Facebook group, Why Is My Curriculum White Australasia? And we discussed it. We we made sure that we were both on, we were all on the same page. We were moving in the right direction. We understood where we all uh, the direction we were all taking. And um, and uh, and yeah, the rest is history. And it's been a number of years now. It's really interesting because uh, I feel like we're kind of grappling with how to teach the next generation to be more compassionate and accepting and open-minded than us when in so many ways as a society maybe we're not quite there yet uh, and so many of our policymakers, who the people who hold the most power uh, hold some of the most narrow-minded and regressive attitudes around mm-hmm. how through what you've been doing with why is my curriculum white um how do you feel like this is changing do you feel kind of positively about the the work that you've been doing uh one of the things that i've really had to accept is that the work that i'm doing now and and many other people of course it's not just me doing this kind of work but um we're setting up foundations for possibly the next generation or the you know the a number of years down the line for for students that are um, coming through and um, starting to think differently and think a lot more critically and uh, and also building on campaigns that have existed before us. Um, you know, I'm positive, but I'm not necessarily positive about um, achieving immediate results. I think that uh, the the real success will come with future generations, and that's why I continue to do what I do now, uh, even though uh, I've experienced a lot of backlash and you know a lot of obstacles, a lot of disinterest or indifference. Um, I can see where it uh, the possibilities or the potential this has, but it may not be until um, sometime down the line. When you say backlash, what kind of things have you come up against? Well, of course, there are there are racists in in all different um, uh, parts of society. There are conservatives. There are people who just don't get it. But also amongst people who uh, are genuinely keen and supportive, um, a lot of these norms and and biases and um, and and prejudices and, and kind of um, uh, habits and and um, learnt behaviours, they exist in all of us. And I think um, a lot of the problems that I've faced have been in activist circles or in, you know, in, in anti-racist um, uh, groups and initiatives. So I think one of the things that I've had to come to terms with is that I'm also complicit in a lot of the, the problems that exist in these institutions and I've had to unlearn so much. And so identifying where these problems lie, what needs to be done to address them, what needs to be transformed, and also thinking long-term rather than short-term. I realise that you know, I'm, uh, I'm contributing something now for possibly people who will come after me. There was something in the fallout Ain't it funny how the wind blows We give them something to talk about And they're locking up their windows And even when the night hits All of the lights have got us running Bye.
That's Wafia with Buddies. You tuned in to Race Matters on FBI Radio. And right now we're hearing a conversation that I had a little earlier this year with Omid Tafigian, an academic campaigner and the translator who worked with Beirouz Bhutani on his book, No Friend But the Mountains. Ever since I was a teenager and found out about, like properly found out um, about the way that this country treats refugees, I've definitely felt passionate about doing what I can to change it but all of my politically conscious life I feel like we've been slipping further and further away from any Mm. sort of change Um, and it definitely makes me and others I've spoken to feel helpless Um, as someone who works with asylum seekers and refugees and who understands perhaps more of the actual experience of detainees than anyone else who's not a detainee Mm -hmm. might understand. Uh, What do you think that we as citizens can actually do to help the situation? Uh, It's an excellent question. And surprisingly, I don't get asked this question often enough, um, which maybe is part of the problem. (laughs) Um, You know, there's a lot of um, um, support for refugees, and I think over the last, uh, I should say, the, the, the support for refugees has increased in recent years, especially in the last year. Um, but statistics show that um, until about a year ago, an overwhelming number of Australians actually thought the policies, uh, the treatment of refugees were either fine or should be harsher. Uh, and this is a reality we have to deal with. You know, we have our own kind of progressive, maybe left-leaning um, uh, circles, people who want things to change, people who are politically conscious and, and, and want to be involved in uh, in activism or different kinds of campaigns and um, um, are more uh, critical in terms of politics and society and culture and, and uh, issues of marginalisation and stigmatisation. But if we remain 
in these circles or in these groups where we're talking to each other and we're organizing particular kinds of um, campaigns or actions that um, reflect our own perspectives and, and what we think needs to be done or, uh, or represent our own political positions, um, especially in response to a particular event or an, a, a certain... Um, a, a certain kind of violence that occurs in in a detention center or in uh, a particular policy that's put into place and, and, and you know we, we organize some kind of action around that if, if it remains at that then it nothing's going to change structurally nothing's going to change um, uh, for the long term um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that if we want genuine change we need to understand that um, there's uh, we need to have a strategic approach and these detention centers um, border politics in Australia is an industry and you know there's a lot of money that goes into it there's there are a lot of multinational companies um, that are invested in this industry Um, even for instance, academics until 2015, you know, our uni super was invested in detention. And I'm sure there are so many other um, uh, organisations and uh, institutions that are somehow um, uh, complicit in the detention industry. And I think to, to transform things, yes, it's important to occupy public space. Yes, it's important to create new discourses and to and to show um, solidarity for refugees and to um, to to voice our concern and our um, uh, uh, our criticism of the government um, and and their policies. But the real work that needs to be done, I think, is um, this kind of s- strategic economic. Um, uh, mobilization or organizing that that attacks the supply chain to to um, uh, to the detention industry that that suffocates the flow of resources and, and capital um, when it comes to uh, immigration detention so until that happens until that uh, unfortunately until it, we we make it economically um, difficult for these places to function um, Politicians will keep doing what they're doing, and um, the um, the institutions or the organisations, the companies that are involved, will keep um, uh, investing into this project. And uh, they realise that there is too much money in it for them. And um, the other thing is, I think uh, we're dealing with an ideology. So uh, to see refugees as weak, broken victims that need our help, need to be saved, uh, rather than as knowledge producers, rather than as decision makers, as leaders. Um, that's going to be an obstacle uh, in, in times to come, I think. Uh, we, we need to think about the ways that we can collaborate with refugees as um, in a more equitable, equitable way, more respectful way, some a way that also... Uh, recognizes their agency and um, and the enormous contribution the, the very unique insight that they can uh, give us in terms of what's happening in uh, with border politics that's academic campaigner and translator of Beirut's Buchani's no friend but the mountains Omid Tafigian. you've been listening to a chat I had with him earlier this year we're going to release an extended cut of that chat where he talks in depth about the translation process Manus prison theory and more but uh, so do keep your eyes on our podcast feed on Apple Podcasts Spotify and over at fbiradio.com forward slash race matters we'll pop a link up to why is my curriculum white 
Australasia, which is a Facebook group run by OMID that aims to address the academic lack of representation across primary school through to higher education. Uh, we will pop that link over on the programs page. Head to fbiradio.com forward slash programs and click through to Race Matters, which is what you've been listening to over the past 30 minutes. You're on FBI Radio 94.5 and my name is Tanya Ali. You can listen to other episodes of Race Matters wherever you get your podcasts and do follow us on Instagram at race underscore matters. We'll catch you next week at 5.30. But first, I'm going to leave you with Omid's answer to the question we like to ask all of our guests. When did you realise there was power in your race? I think understanding uh, the fact that race is a political construction and a form of control, um, realising that was empowering. I found power in that. So learning different techniques or different um, strategies and different um, uh, interpretations of how race operates, how it functions in our everyday lives and and uh, where its origins, its roots, um, and, you know, the way it transforms its fluid nature, its arbitrary nature, understanding that was empowering for me. Life is a journey that I'm on to my right stops. Young Simba, leave your ego on pride rock. Yeah, don't get it twisted like a tie knot. They kill my cousin, that's the reason I don't like cops. Diaspora, welcome to the life of a dream chaser, never taking nights off. Till my sound banging up your car, right off. Weave through the mountain of truth. Searching for the path that leads to the fountain of youth I'm in the lead, couple things that I'm certain to prove Go against us and you're certain to lose I can't run, somebody put a rock in my shoes So I walk in the shadow of death But I find peace in the fact I'm blessed Blood to my blood, flesh to my flesh Hope you listen to this when you stressing All alone in the shadow of death But I find peace in the fact I'm blessed Blood to my blood, flesh to my flesh Hope you listen to this when you stressing Feeling lost in a paradox All alone so I shadow box Navigated with the flow that can shadow rocks I am another reflection of you Real, recognize, real, I'm addressing a few Growing up, loyalty, the only lesson I knew So I gotta put my heart in everything that I do And I'm repping for the city of verses Reminiscing, I've been looking for purpose Tell mama, sorry, couldn't find it in churches Born in the darkness, you merely adopted Started with the revolution, no one could stop it Things picked up since the day I dropped it Did it for the love, but I'm back for the profit Trying to get the bread, homie, feed the fam More turn, less said, trying to be the man Trying to tour the world, I don't need a band Trying to make a blueprint but I need a plan, let me remind you if your memory hazy Never dash to the money, I'd rather be Jay-Z, Diceboro So I walk in the shadow of death But I find peace in the fact I'm blessed Blood to my blood, flesh to my flesh Hope you listen to this when you stressing All alone in the shadow of death But I find peace in the fact I'm blessed Blood to my blood, flesh to my flesh Hope you listen to this when you stressing Race matters Race matters Race matters Race matters Race matters Race matters. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters.